Welcome to Executive Tools, How to Structure an Organization, Part 1. In this cast, we answer these questions. How do I build an org chart? What is the primary goal in structuring an organization? Why are org charts also different? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. All right, Mark, org charts. This should be a pretty simple one, right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's only three basic rules, right, which we're going to cover, and then yeah. there's like three dead simple steps that anybody can do to structure a new organization. Yep. Of course, I'm making it sound a lot easier than it is. That's why we're going to talk about it more than just ending it right here. <laughs> I think the key point was when you said part one to this cast. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's yeah, that was a, that was a little uh, shadowing there, wasn't it? Yeah. So look, people have to stand up organizations. It's actually one of the signs you're an executive. If you've never stood up an organization and by stood up, I mean, somebody says, we need to do this. Usually they say, you've got a budget of X, you know, figure out what the structure is, who you're going to put in there. And the first thing people think of, of course, is people, which is a mistake. The other thing is at an even higher level for executives. And that's why executive tools exist is that nobody in your organization is going to tell you how. You might think HR knows, and no offense to HR, HR doesn't know. They've got salary structures and banding and all kinds of rules about where to recruit from and so on. But in terms of building an org, that's not really what HR necessarily does. Some of them are quite good at it because they've done it numerous times. Right. Some are good, but as we're going to talk about, it requires some knowledge of the business and knowledge of the customers and knowledge of what you need to do to meet those customers' needs, et cetera, to build an organization. You can't just build it, oh, okay, I need a sales, I need marketing. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, there it is. That's what people do. Yeah, that's what people do. Yeah, and nobody's going to tell you how. It's just like you're sort of supposed to know. And like you said, it's just three rules and three steps. Now, that overly simplifies it enormously. But- this is executive tools, so we're going to try to make it as easy as possible. So we're going to cover the three rules. First, rule number one is build your organization to serve its customers. Rule two is make it as small as possible. No wait, smaller. And rule three, one in a box. Then there are three steps. Step one, create an org chart. Step two, put names in the boxes. And then step three, and this is the one people miss. This, this, you're cheating here. You're absolutely cheating, saying there's only three steps. Yeah. And then you change the structure over and over and over again until you get it right. Yeah, so there's like 100 steps. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's iterative. Step three is essentially iterative. And there's a bonus lesson here, which is you can do this to your own organization, folks. If you're really an executive, you could do this analysis in your organization and reframe and restructure your organization. And have a new organization because your organization structure is probably already old. Right. You probably had nothing to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Nobody exists probably who knows. And things change organically. And so people don't realize that, well, we started here and then this happened and this happened and this happened. Oh, but then this guy who was the institutional memory left. And so we really don't know what happened in the next three years. Then these other guys did this thing. And then she came in and suggested this and we bolted this thing on. And that made sense for what we were doing at the time. But then, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And suddenly you have, uh, I, what is the, uh, the jokey phrase for something that's uh, put together real messily? 
it'll come to me. But that's the way most organizations look. And people just assume that's what the organization is. But the organization really isn't anything other than something designed to serve something. And probably the def- definition of what the thing you're trying to serve has, has changed. So let's get to the rules. Yeah, let's, get to, let's get to rule one, number one, which is build your organization to serve its customers. And I think this is the one that gets violated most of the time because people think it's like, well, one, I'm going to start talking about people in my organization first. Like, who do I need oh, to get? Of course. And then what can that person do or what does that person want to do? And starts thinking about the organization serving the organization, <laughs> the org chart serving the organization versus serving its external customers. Yeah. In fact, it's normal for people to think about people. Oh, I've got just the person. She's fantastic. She's got this. She's got that. She's going to be great. The problem with that is that focuses on the internal rather than the external. So we'll talk about what to do, but let's definitely agree on what not to do. And the first step, whatever you do, if you're starting an org from scratch, don't start with actual people. It's the big mistake most execs make who are standing up an org. It is normal. It is appropriate. People will suggest people to you. It's all about people. It's all about power. It's all about roles and so on. And it just doesn't work. So the way it sounds is, okay, Andrew's going to run it. And that means so-and-so needs to be on the team, right? Doing this and thus and such over here. And it's going to become a disaster when you do it that way. Because people actually are the last step. Human beings, the names that go in the boxes are the last step. Organizations do not exist as places for people. They are places for people, but that is not why they exist. And a wise one, why do they exist? (laughs) Good one. Uh, Organizations exist to create results. And you really better think carefully about that before you start putting lines and blocks on paper. We say this because we've created or helped create plenty of organizations, and there's a trap in org creation that you'll discover the first time you do it. And the trap that happens, and everybody feels it, it's addictive. Sketching out an org chart that you've been given authority to sketch out feels like playing God. It feels really good really powerful to invent something from scratch. You know, there's an old saw, why did it take God only six days to create the universe? And the answer is because he didn't have an installed base, right? If you're starting from scratch, you know, you can do whatever the heck you want. You don't have to satisfy all kinds of constituencies and so on. And so you'll get into this sense of you're going to right old wrongs. You're going to finally get something set up right versus the way other things have been set up around here in the past. There's no historical baggage. It's a blank slate. It's tabula rasa. But that feeling you're feeling is about your creation process. But it's not why the organization is going to exist. And so when you get to feel in that way, you feel like you can justify anything. You can understand why this is that and that is this and so on. Trust us. Your thinking is very quickly going to become self-referential and even solipsistic in a way. It just becomes all about you and the people you know and who you want to put there and who you don't. Um, And the other thing, too, is people start seeking perfection. They want the org chart to speak to everyone and to go, wow, look at that. That's about the most ridiculous goal ever. I know. And people expect it, but org charts, 
frustrated us because they don't speak. Um, yeah, stupid goal. There's no amount of perfection that we can bake into an org chart that will prohibit the human beings who inhabit it from pursuing selfish ends, from fighting over politics, from fighting over titles, which by the way, we'll have a comment about at the very end. I always get questions about titles when we start doing org stuff, and it's always a waste of time. That's <laughs> so great. The organizations are, are great, except that they're infested with people. People, that's right, yeah. The quote I heard from actually a member of our club here, who is a music agent, said, being an agent in the music business is great, except for the talent, right? <laughs> right so right. human organizations are great, except for the humans. And when you're just drawing the org chart, when you're just thinking about the org and not about the people, well, you know, it feels pretty good and pretty clean and pretty neat, but it's actually not. In fact, I'm going to take a sidebar here for a second. My favorite leadership quote could easily have been written about creating org charts. And those of you who are longtime listeners, and I suspect many of you Executive Tools listeners are, know that my quote comes from Stephen Vincent Benet's famous free verse poem, John Brown's Body, which was written about the American Civil War when the appealed surprise. Mike was kind enough a number of years ago to give me a first edition, first printing signed by the author, copy of John Brown's Body. And I remember reading it, and I think I'm the only person I know who's read the whole thing through. And this one particular passage stood out. So here we go. If you take a flat map and move wooden blocks upon it strategically, the thing looks well. The blocks behave as they should. The science of war is moving live men like blocks and getting the blocks into place at a fixed moment. But it takes time to mold your men into blocks, and flat maps turn into country where creeks and gullies hamper your wooden squares. They stick in the brush, they are tired and rest, they straggle after ripe blackberries, and you cannot lift them up in your hand and move them. It is all so clear on the maps, so clear in the mind. But the orders are slow, the men in the blocks are slow to move. When they start, they take too long on the way. And the general loses his stars, and the block men die in unstrategic defiance of martial law, because still used to just being men and not block parts. So, if we can avoid the siren call of godlike powers, we can focus on the first rule of org creation, which is build your organization for its customers not its inhabitants. To make any org chart effective, just the start of it, just the chart, not the org itself, we have to build it to make the org effective. But people don't do that. I mean, th these become arguments very quickly. And unfortunately, the arguments devolve into, I want her and you want him, and we can't square that circle unless one of us budges. And we're afraid early on that if one of us budges, the other one's going to roll us. And so it gets stupid. And then we think we can go to our boss and say, hey, we've got a problem here. He's like, I just sent you away 15 minutes ago. What are you, you know. Um, so if you're going to build it for the customers, 
Then you got to build it based on the results of the organization. And all organizational results exist outside of the organization, which is where customers are. This is a huge fundamental problem of most managers and executives, this idea that results can be attained internally. Um, They can't. The only thing that happens internally, as Peter Drucker says, other than friction and malperformance, is cost. We're all cost centers. All of our salaries add up. Typically, salaries are 50%. Um, Compensation is 50% of the total cost of any organization, uh, of all the costs. And what ends up happening is people start thinking about, how can I create results to help my career? Well, that's an individual's results, and it's very likely for the vast majority of individuals in the organization, their results are not external. In a profit-seeking organization, not that profit is our goal, and please don't write me about that because the answer takes too long, but in a profit-seeking organization, the goal is revenue, profitable revenue. But even before that, it's customers. In fact, that's why Peter Drucker says the purpose of an organization is to create a customer. And by that, he means figure out what it is customers want and give it to them at a price that allows them to believe they're getting more value than what they're paying for. But that takes a customer making a decision outside of the organization. And then you get money, and that money allows you to invest it and hopefully make more and even better products, which create even more customers. Um, and, And too many people, when they look at org charts, they immediately go internal. They become inwardly focused and great orgs of the world are always externally focused. And if we don't put those external results first in our planning, there are no amounts of great people to overcome the underlying structural problems we're going to create. I've said this before many times that great people will overcome average systems, but average people will not perform at a high level just because their systems are great. The organization itself is not a system. It's so many systems. So if you have a really bad organizational structure, there's no amount of human effort that will overcome that. You'll just create massive amounts of, again, friction and malperformance. And people will wonder why it's not working because we've got all these great people over there. Well, they probably started by thinking first about the people and not about the results of the organization because they built for the people and not for results. If we do it in such a way that we hamper the creation of results, that we're not trying to create something that's going to create an external result. And by the way, guys, some orgs, their results are external to the org, but still internal to the company. That happens too. But if we create something that makes results too hard to create, the organization's going to die. Actually, probably be killed, right? Somebody will just take away its budget. Regardless of how happy its inhabitants are with their structure and roles. And when people get promoted into new organizations and they're told that a new budget was given for this, and this is very important and senior people have an eye on it, and then they struggle, they're going to be happy, but then they're going to become very, very sad, very, very fast. Okay. So how do we manifest this results rule? And we ask ourselves three basic questions. Now, There are some people who tell you there's 11, 13 questions. I've found out when you're working with people and and you've got an organization of 20 to 50 or even up to 500, 
If you tell somebody there are 13 rules, they cannot separate the first rule from the 13th. They can't make a distinction between this rule is more important than that one, and so therefore we're going to choose this, even though following rule number one hurts rule number two, but that happens in all prioritization of rules and systems and so on. Uh, So we ask three big picture questions. There's a lot to them, but we found it's much easier to get started with three than with 11 or 13. So the first question we ask is, what are the results we will measure? And basically, there are two ways you can get this question answered. In the first case, your boss or somebody's boss has decided a new organization needs to be stood up. Maybe, in fact, it's you. If it is you, you're the originator. Okay? You may actually be the person that stands up the org, but that's not often, well, let's say it's not always the case. Usually there's an originator, and then there's somebody who actually creates the org. And your boss or somebody's boss has decided as an originator that we're going to stand up a new org, and that org gets put in your org and says, okay, you're going to be, this org is going to report to you somehow. Usually, the person who thought of the org to begin with before they put it under you has already thought through what its outputs are going to be. So, whatever you do, if you're the one in charge of starting the new org, of structuring it, and someone else has decided it's going to be you doing it, fight like hell to talk to that person and find out how they intended to measure the results of the new organization. Because believe me, if there's going to be budget put to it, and let's say it's a few million dollars, somebody has thought through the return on investment that is required to justify this new spend. And it's expensive spend because it's people. Because people want to stay generally, and they tend to get expensive, and they tend to get raises. Mike and I often talk about headcount as being equivalent to capital. That if you're going to do a capital spend, you have to get approval at some higher level than most managers are. Same thing is true for headcount in a way. That's why you can't get an open requisition sometimes because HR says, we don't want to add more to our headcount, which we would then have to continue to support over a long period of time with pay raises and cost of living increases and bonuses. And I think think the last statistic I heard, Mike, now this is clearly a COVID I I would put a pause on this number, but I would say if you're in a Fortune 1000 company, maybe a Fortune 700, 600 company, whatever your salary is, multiply it by 1.6 to 1.7, maybe down to 1.5, and that's the actual cost to the company of you because of the cost of your benefits. An example of this that I had a conversation with about somebody the other day that relates to the COVID issue and whether COVID has changed that or the pandemic and the lockdowns and the changes in working from home have changed that is the cost of real estate. When companies used to hire, uh, and I'm not so sure in a couple of years it won't be the same again, but for right now, because of working from home, it's somewhat less. They had to assume they had to pay for a desk for you. And they know exactly how much that desk costs, right? They know yeah. if you're if the office is in Manhattan, they know exactly how much your square footage is and exactly how much they're going to pay for that square footage because they're paying per square foot. Now, clearly, at some point, they want to fill up that building because they want to maximize their return on their investment in the real estate. But after that, 
it gets really expensive really fast. So you might assume that if this new org is yours to run, or maybe have one of your people run, you get to choose the results. Of course I do. Yeah, sure you do. No, not really. Not so. Very few executives will willy-nilly set up an org without having thought through what its outputs are going to be. Again, organizations are incredibly expensive, okay? If you're going to start something expensive, you're going to want to know how to kill it. I'm going to say that again. If you're going to start something expensive, you're going to want to know how to kill it. Too many times people start something that gets a little expensive, and because it wasn't expensive in the beginning, they didn't figure out how to kill it and what the politics will be and so on. They didn't give it a time limit. They didn't plan on people moving out and moving into it and so on. And then the organization gets bigger, and then they don't know how to kill it. And now we have a real problem, and it takes really senior executive power to make it happen. And then everybody between she who's making the decision at the very top and the person, the operator, the person who's running the org, all have an egg on their faces. So the best way to know how to kill something is to know its outputs so that when the org doesn't achieve them, the killing is not bloody or political. It's justified. People don't understand, oh, they politically, they killed that thing. No, it wasn't political. This organization exists to serve society. And that part of this organization was not doing its job. And we can't leave cancerous cells around here. We have to get rid of them. That sounds really terribly biological and organic, but it is an organization. It's not a mechanization. Okay, so how do we talk to the originator if we're the operator? Ask your boss if it was her decision, right, uh, to originate and yours to operate. If so, ask her what she wants. It's not hard. What are the results you expect from the org? How will you measure the org? What constraints are you going to put on it? It's not hard. Now, I'm not saying that those answers that you're going to get are two sentences long, but you have to ask. You can't just put pen to paper. If your boss is not the originator, ask your boss, or maybe don't ask, just go. Who was the originator? And go talk to them. Ask them the same questions. Now, look, if you ask your boss and she says, yeah, it was me. And you say, what are the results you expect? How are you going to measure it? What are the constraints? And then she says something like, well, you know what? Let, let's get it structured first and we'll figure all that out later. You're in a pinch. You know, thinking through this in my history, there's a time I was asked to bring up an organization and mm -hmm. um, I got the distinct idea at the time <laughs> that I was being evaluated as an executive oh, based, of course. based on whether I could do that well or not. Right. Yeah. And, and first strike against you, actually probably first two strikes and you might as well be facing Sandy Koufax in this situation. If he has two strikes on you, you know, you're done is not finding out how we can measure this thing. What are its outputs? Who are its customers? Okay. You may have noticed something here about all this talk about results. Sometimes the results the originator wants to achieve are almost impossible to measure. Sometimes orgs exist to facilitate communication or support another org or to oversee a process or a system oversee. How do we generally measure facilitation? How do we measure support or oversight? The answer is, Everybody does it differently. 
and it's not precise. That's fine, okay? Normal. But the lesson is clear. If you're not the originator, you may not get to define the results. But even if you're not told what are the results that they haven't thought through yet are, you can and must define the measures you're going to use to assess the achievement of the org's results. And probably you're going to have to brief somebody and say, here's how we intend to measure this organization's results. Notice it's not the actual results, it's the measure. That's why we have this conversation. I mentioned profitability. People say, oh, companies, the purpose of a company is to create a profit. No, dimwit, it is not. Profit is a measure. It is not a result. It is not an outcome. Okay? It is a result. It is a measure that we believe tells us how well we're doing against our result, which is creating customers and hopefully satisfied ones. Now, look, this can be super easy. Sometimes the org result is reduce product development costs by 10%. Somebody actually tells you that. Okay. Now, that happens to be both a result and a measure. But don't make the assumption just because of this one really easy example that all results are measures because they're not. Now, we could talk about various orgs and their results uh, for days and days and still not exhaust the subject. Maybe this is what Mike was getting at. Like, oh, there's just three simple rules there. No problem. But here's another general rule for you. If the customer your new organization is serving is outside of your company, not just outside of your org, but your entire company, the result being sought probably has money as the metric. Not always, but probably 75% of the time, rough estimate. If your org serves an internal purpose, money may not be the result that's being asked for, but that doesn't mean you couldn't use money as a very important measure in support of the results you're responsible for. There are uh, internal exchange functions in organizations, some organizations, where this organization does X for this other organization, and we value that. We've decided internally on our own, we made this up, X is worth this much. If you produce three widgets, that's worth this much, okay? Even if the widget doesn't have a price associated with it internally, we're going to put a price on it so that we can measure your organization, because we don't like organizations that aren't measured. And that ought to give you a clue right there, guys. We don't like organizations that aren't measured. Because, of course, the ultimate organization, the corporation, or, or even the university, or even the government organization, is measured in some fashion. But we don't like organizations that are not measured. And the vast majority of internal organizations are measured very poorly. It's one of the reasons there's malperformance and friction and misunderstandings and, and career political infighting as well. Okay, second question. What external relationships must be built to serve these results? Let's put it differently. Whom do we need to interface with outside this organization and how many people in what roles will that take? Typically, for orgs that'll serve customers external to the entire organization, like Mike said, sales, marketing, right? Customer service, technical assistance kinds of roles. For internal roles, it might give us insight into what organizations would have the existing relationships such that we might want to recruit them, recruit from them for this organization, for this opportunity. 
There are lots of guidelines and rules for how to think about this. And we're going to delineate some of those in a future cast or probably cast. I love this topic. Here's a simplistic example. Imagine your org is supporting a product that is being shipped to one of only five customers. And the market is perhaps one item a week. Now, admittedly, it may be a very complicated or complex product, but let's just stay at this high level for a minute. How many customer service personnel would you need in that situation? Now, there's no rule, by the way. Anybody who tells you there's a rule thinks that all organizational problems can be solved with math, and math does not solve human problems, and they don't have a budget either. But you're going to have to make an estimate of that. Maybe you wouldn't need any, and maybe customer service would simply become part of the sales force's remit, part of their responsibilities. But now compare that to another org selling a consumer product direct from a website. How many customer service people would you need if you shipped 5,000 units a day? 43. Oh, good. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, we could, we could save a whole bunch of time. Do you know the rest of the answers too? That'd be I great. Got, got them all. I got them all. I, I'd encourage everybody to... Uh, to follow them very precisely if you want to end your career. I'm really embarrassed that I don't know off the top of, oh, I now remember the name of the the messy, um, the messy uh, thing I was trying to think of earlier, Rube Goldberg. It's great. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think the answer to life, the universe, and everything from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is 42. Pretty sure. So you're 42? Close, it's 42? It's 42. Mm. Yeah, it's not 43. Yeah. Okay. Third question. What internal relationships must be built to serve this result? Because an org chart is basically a map of relationships. Up until now, we've been talking about stuff outside. And we're going to create metrics to address the outside results. And then we're going to have to figure out the people that are going to have to talk to people outside or relate to people outside or serve people outside. But what internal relationships must be built? Now we're talking about the size and depth and breadth of the firm. Will it take 100 people or only 25? And as a general rule, without creating a line and block chart yet, folks, or without deciding who's going to report to whom, it's based on the results that are required of the organization. Now, I will tell you, um, we're going to talk more about budget in a second, but how big your organization is, my, the next bullet, of course, is about keeping it small. But the thing that usually comes with an organization is, here's your budget. And that quickly defines everything for you. And if you know your budget, these questions and that budget will be bumping up against each other constantly. If you do a, a budgetless analysis and you say, I need, I need 60 people, that's a lot. And then you're told your budget is 22 million. Like, oh, okay. Maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe. And so budget will be important. Okay. Well, look at I think we've been going almost like 35 minutes here. So let's, um, oh my, I suggest we stop here and continue this next time 
this is how much fun this one is. I just start talking. I, I lose all track of time. I'm enjoying it. I hope others do. This is good, my friend. There's plenty more to come. Thanks, partner. All right. We'll see you all two weeks from now. Take care. Take care.